So Naomi decides to travel back to Bethlehem, which really won't benefit her situation any, but at least she'll be back in her hometown. And after pleading with both of her daughters-in-law, right, to return to their own families, uh, Orpah does so. In fact, she does what we would say is, is the logical thing. She goes back to the home of her parents, back into provision and protection, the hope of remarriage, the hope of perpetuating the family name through childbearing. Orpah does the logical thing. But Ruth, as we saw last week, as you saw last week, I wasn't here, I listened to it, it was wonderful. She, she didn't do the logical thing, right? Despite Naomi's dire situation, Ruth, in an unbelievable act of selflessness, clings to Naomi. And she promises Naomi that she'll never leave her side. See, Ruth had come to faith in Yahweh through Naomi. And she's not about to abandon Naomi in this time of struggle and and bitterness and pain and uncertainty. All the things that we can imagine she's no doubt feeling. So, As we come to today's passage, Ruth chapter 2, 1 through 13, Ruth, who is still very much grieving the loss of her husband, and Naomi, who is, like if we're honest, barely hanging on. Uh, Naomi is in a dark place. So both of these ladies have just returned to Bethlehem. The famine in the land of Judah has ended, and it is the beginning of the barley harvest. So let's Now, with that context, begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the heirs of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And then, or, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, 
all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we gather now in this moment in the name of the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and after ascending back to heaven, sent us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us this morning from your word, from your Bible. God, teach us, edify us, strengthen us, mature us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a, an interesting and a great passage we have this morning with the introduction of a, of a new character. This part of the story now shifts focus from Ruth and Naomi over to Ruth and Boaz, two individuals who are strikingly similar if we were to do a character study of them, and yet whose life circumstances couldn't be more different, right? Ruth, of course, finds herself in a season here of tremendous struggle, of pain, of lack, of fear, and uncertainty. However, we see just the opposite with Boaz, who finds himself in a season of tremendous abundance, of provision, security, and stability. And what I appreciate about this passage is that it clearly shows us what it looks like to be men and women of faith, whether we find ourselves on life's peak or in life's valley. When our faith is in our loving and Savior God and the person and work of Jesus Christ, when He is our hope, when He is our confidence, when he is our security, it changes the way we view and respond to these circumstances. Whether the highs or the lows, it changes us because we're rooted in Jesus, not our circumstances. For those of you who find yourselves in the midst of struggle and pain and doubt and, and having got, had the last you know, month and a half to get to know some of you, I know some of you are exhausted and uncertain, my prayer for you this week has been that you would follow the example that we see in Ruth. And then for those of you, praise God, who find yourselves in the midst of abundance, like blessing and, and, and plenty, my prayer is that you would follow the example that we see here in Boaz. You see how all of us, anywhere we are on that spectrum, we're all covered in today's passage. I love that about the word. The title of my sermon that I, I hope serves the content of the sermon well is God at work through 
our work. And we're going to look at two things this morning, if you're a note taker. Point number one, we're going to look at what faith looks like in seasons of struggle. And point number two, we're going to look at what faith looks like in seasons of abundance. So let's look at point number one. And let's, church, let's let Ruth show us what faith looks like in a season of struggle. So verse one, we see the introduction of Boaz, okay? The ESV Transformation Bible says that by introducing Boaz here, this is very purposeful. This is a Hebrew work of literary genius, the book of Ruth. It's true, but it's told captivatingly. So by introducing Boaz here, the author is preparing us for what is coming next. So that as the story unfolds, we will recognize the overruling hand of God administering his gracious plan. That's the only reason in verse 1 that that's, that that's there. It's just to kind of set a scene for what's to come. Verse 2 then transitions, right? We see Ruth and she has no idea that this man Boaz even exists. God does. God knows what he's up to, but Ruth doesn't. In verse 2, when Ruth suggests to Naomi that she might go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight she hopes to find favor, Ruth here is not referring to Boaz. She is, in fact, not referring to anyone specific, but rather a male landowner in general. And I'll explain how we arrive here. Because according to Leviticus 19, 23 and Deuteronomy 24, the Mosaic law, the divine law that governed the people of Israel decreed that landowners and their workers were not allowed to harvest the full extent of their fields. They weren't allowed to do it. They had to leave the margins of their fields all the margin crops, you know, you've seen like property divide where like the corn crop kind of blends over into the neighbor's yard. All of that marginal stuff was supposed to be left alone for the marginalized. This was God's gracious provision for the poor and to the widow and to the immigrant. By design, by divine mosaic law, Ruth knew that she could go find, hopefully, a landowner that would recognize divine law and let her, a widow, a foreigner, a woman, gather and glean grain. She's poor as well. And it seems that Ruth was aware of this law. She seems pretty confident in her pitch to Naomi. She hopes to enter a field and gather food. And she sort of asks Naomi's permission to do so. You realize that? And here's one reason why. The author kind of subtly reminds us in verse 2 that she is, after all, Ruth the Moabite. The Moabites were foreign Baal worshipers. They were descendants of Abraham, yes, but they were descendants through Lot. And man, there was a huge history of hostile uh, treatment between the Moabites and God's people, the Israelites. So if we get this straight, let's just kind of frame up here. Ruth is a young, poor, widowed, immigrant woman with no provision and no protection for herself nor her ailing mother-in-law at home. Talk about vulnerability. 
fragile, fearful, doubtful, and uncertain is her situation. And what does she do? She rolls up her sleeves and heads out the door because her hope did not rest on the uncertainty of her situation, but rather in the certainty of her sovereign and good God who she'd come to faith in, who is not only in control of everything, but who also works everything together for the good of those who put their trust in him. Hear me, church. In the face of trials, in the face of struggle, the people of God do not have to cower in fear, paralyzed by uncertainty. Rather, by faith, by inner proof and assurance of what we hope for in Christ, we can keep walking. We can act. In fact, we can work knowing that God, as we will see in this story, most often works through our works to accomplish his good purposes. This is a truth you can take to the bank. And this shouldn't be a new concept for us because, you know, work out your own salvation, Paul writes to the Philippians. We've read that passage time and time again. But then he reminds the Philippians that as they do work, it is actually God working through them to accomplish his desired outcome for his glory and for our joy. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of missionary martyr Jim Elliot, kind of summarized that idea that Paul was writing to the Philippians. She put it in this way. Trust, obey, and then do the next thing. <laughs> How's that for being vague? The next thing, the next thing for Ruth in this story was obvious. Her and Naomi needed to eat, and so she went to gather grain. It's pretty simple. It was hard, long work, as we see in verse 7. And then considering her age and her gender and her ethnicity, there were racial issues here at work. It was also dangerous, slightly, for her to go into these fields. Nevertheless, Ruth acted because faith acts. Faith does not sit on its hands. Even when we are waiting on the Lord to make the big move, we can be making small movements, trusting that he will redeem them and he will use them in the process. See, there is always another prayer that can be prayed and there's always one more move that can be made, always. Now this is not, do not hear me, a theology of God helping those who help themselves. That's antichrist. This is a theology of God establishing the steps of those who take the next step. Plain and simple. So if you're here and your finances are tight, maybe you've lost your job, struggling to make ends meet, here's what I would offer. If you're in a Ruth-like situation, pray. Ask God to help you to trust and obey him and then do the next thing. Maybe for some of you, it will mean to grab a pen and a paper and literally budget out every penny that you know is coming in. Then pray and ask God to help you trust and obey and do the next thing. Take a tour of your home, maybe. Locate anything and everything that you know is excess. You don't need it. Sell it. Then pray 
Ask God to help you trust and obey and do the next thing, which might include going to your CG leader or a community group member to have them pray with you and to help you seek through trusting and obeying and then maybe going out and grabbing some job applications. Again, doing the next thing. I mean, what if, what, what if you even took your faith to this extent? God, we're in dire straits. I need a job. I need someone to come into my life. I'm going to put my winter coat on and I'm going to go walk around downtown Worcester trusting that you may bump me into someone that I need to speak to. There's always something we can do while waiting on God to do. Trust, obey, and do the next thing. If you're struggling, as many of us at this season are, with a child, whether they're an unbeliever or just unruly, Pray and ask God, help you to trust and obey, do the next thing. And, and this is maybe just what I would do, just a little bit of Chris wisdom. Plan a once a week phone call with that kid if they're long distance or, or plan a once a week breakfast date that you will not cancel if the apocalypse is happening. Then sit down week after week after week with your kid and just ask them good questions. What do you, what's in your heart? What's in your head? What are you afraid of? What are you enjoying right now? What are you, what you watching on Netflix? Because I don't see you as often. Or you're up in your room a lot. Or, but how can I encourage you? Maybe look for evidence of grace in their life. Maybe they're not even a believer, but they believe in justice. They believe in helping people and showing mercy. Celebrate the life out of it. Because what we celebrate, we end up cultivating in other people. I think that was Plato who said that. Sit down week after week, listen well, encourage often, celebrate evidence of grace. Do this over and over and over while you continue to trust and obey God because he most often works through our works to accomplish his good purposes. This is exactly what happens in today's passage. Because as Luck would have it when Ruth does the next thing in verse 3. She just happens to come to the field belonging to one of the wealthiest, most successful, most respected, and most godly business owners in Bethlehem, who also just happens to be a close relative of Naomi's, which is going to play a major role next week in the weeks ahead. Don't you love the hyperbole on the author's part, the person who's writing this story? It's intentional. The people, I mean, as a Hebrew, the people of God know there is no such thing as luck, chance, or coincidence. It's just divine grace manifesting itself in the normal stuff of life. God was at work through Ruth's work to bring her to Boaz and to bring Boaz to her. So what does faith look like in seasons of struggle? Faith keeps its eyes on what is certain. Christ and him crucified and therein God in control. That he loves us and accepts us wholly in Jesus Christ and that he is working often through our working for our ultimate good. If you don't see it, Trust what you see in your heart about him. If you don't see his hand, trust his heart. That was point one. That was what faith looks like in seasons of struggle. Point number two, 
what faith looks like in seasons of abundance. The name Boaz literally translates, it, it means strength. So picture with me, this is funny, picture with me the most interesting man in the world from the Dos Equis beer commercials, right? That's Boaz. I mean, he's older, he's wise, he's successful, he's rich, he's loved by his co-worker, or his workers, his employees, and to top it all off, he's a Sunday school teacher, right? I mean, if Ruth is the woman we should want our sons to marry, Boaz is the man we should want our daughters to marry. And fortunately for my father-in-law, his daughter found a Boaz. <laughs> She's not in here, so that, that was wasted. <laughs> no, I found a Ruth. Just look at what happens when Boaz steps on the scene uh, when he comes to work in verse four. I promise we're gonna start clipping here. I, I, wanna, I wanna keep this as, as brief as possible. His employees literally greet him with a blessing, with like a song, and he blesses them right back. These people were excited to see Boaz. I mean, he's a, he's a worthy man. We were told that in verse one. He's a man after the heart of God, and it shows in all his conduct. I mean, he's humble, he's honest, he's compassionate and generous and encouraging. He's the kind of boss that all of us want to work for. It doesn't matter even what the work is, right? It could be like draining porta johns. It doesn't matter because this boss is, we, we respect him or her and like him or her so much, we just want to be around. In fact, I, I need to share this really quick. And I promise, brother, I won't mention your name. But one thing that's been really cool about, about, beginning to pastor in a, in a small town is that people who don't even uh, come to substance or part of substance have been talking about you to me. Like they found out that, I, that I'm here and so they're coming to tell me, you know, stuff about you. And, and I spoke with a woman this week. I was so encouraged. She works for one of you or with one of you. And she mentioned to me that you are so encouraging her words were so joyful that you wear, you wear Christ on your sleeve and it shows in all your conduct. Hallelujah. I mean, if we could just celebrate so that we cultivate this, brothers and sisters, please, Emulate Boaz in the workplace. I know you're not perfect, but man, if, we, if that could just be said of me, that's Boaz. And that's this gentleman who's here among us this morning. So thank you, sir. For those of us in seasons of abundance, faith keeps us grounded in that abundance. It keeps us humble and sensitive and compassionate and generous toward those around us, especially those who are struggling. See, in the interest of protecting his own assets, his own crops, his own wealth, Boaz could have easily made a snap judgment about Ruth. He could have racially profiled her and kicked her off his property. But instead, he demonstrates a faith-driven softness and a sensitivity toward her. He takes the time to inquire about her story in verse five. 
And when he learns of Ruth's identity and her situation, he's moved to even more compassion. He's stirred in his heart to help her, to show kindness to her, to ease her struggle. Because when God's people take the time to learn of someone's story, we often cannot help ourselves because Christ in us yearns to help and to show mercy when we take the time. In verse 12, Boaz pronounces a blessing over Ruth. He lifts up a prayer to the Lord on her behalf. He prays that she would be rewarded for her faith, see? That she would be provided for, that she would be protected under the wings of the God of Israel. Please do not miss the irony here. The very prayer that Boaz is praying, God in that very moment is answering through Boaz. Boaz, through the generosity that God has placed within him, is the answer to his own prayer. God is providing for Ruth, as we see in verse 8. When Boaz gives her special instructions not to go to another field, but to glean all that she needs from his. God is protecting Ruth, as we see in verse 9. When Boaz tells her to stay close to his female workers and charges the male workers to let Ruth glean in peace. And God is rewarding Ruth for her trust in him. More so than she could possibly imagine as the story unfolds. I don't want to give it away. God is going to use Boaz to reward Ruth greatly. Everything that Boaz prayed for is being answered by God through Boaz because God most often works through our works to accomplish his desired purposes. Now, for those of us in the midst of abundance and security and stability, can we be honest? Are we a Boaz? Is your truest trust in God, not grain, not wealth, not self-sufficiency and all things the American dream? Then if so, who is your Ruth? Because make no mistake about it, God has divinely placed Ruths all around you for the purpose that you might joyfully get to walk as a Boaz. Are you grounded enough to remember church members who are walking in abundance? Are you grounded enough to remember that literally everything you have has been given to you? Your brain, your skills and interests, the parents who taught you to work, the money for your education, your nationality, your specific time and place, even in history, everything has been determined and given to you. Everything you have has come from the Lord. I love this quote from John Calvin. All the blessings we enjoy are divine deposits which we have received on this condition. 
that we distribute them to others. We will be held accountable for knowing Christ and being territorial with all of our crops. We'll be held accountable. And this is not condemnation because there's good news. So what does faith look like in seasons of abundance? Faith proves that its ultimate security is found in Christ. You say it, let us see it. Not in the abundance of riches. And therefore, faith proves itself by being radically sensitive and radically generous to those around us, especially those in need. Now, lastly, I want to jump to point three, which I did not tell you about. It was a top secret point. And that is what faith looks like in seasons of utter reliance on the members of the body of Christ. The fact that Naomi is almost completely out of the picture in this passage is not by accident and it shouldn't be overlooked. She is broken. She is physically, emotionally, and spiritually spent. She has lost everything and almost, save for Ruth, everyone in her life. And so what could we possibly learn from her absence in this part of the story? Something beautiful about the body of Christ. See, throughout the last 10 years, as we've seen in chapter 1, Naomi has discipled Ruth. She has spent long amounts of time by Ruth's side, making food and washing clothes and tending to the house right by her side. And all the while, Naomi was intentionally investing in Ruth, teaching her about God and his grace, teaching her how to trust and obey and then to do the next thing. Just like Naomi demonstrated with her husband and sons when they trusted and obeyed God, And then they were like, there's a famine. We've got to move to Moab. And so they just did the next thing. The point is, is that for the last 10 years, as God was using Naomi to lift up Ruth in faith, he was preparing Ruth for the day when he would use her to lift up Naomi in faith. This is how discipleship works. This is how community groups work. Naomi did not choose her daughter-in-law, but she embraced her and taught her and prayed for her and developed patterns of intentionality that were just financing the breakdown that, that Naomi would later have and Ruth was just nothing but ministry to Naomi. So like Naomi, each of us is going to experience seasons where our faith is wavering. I, I, Come Thou Fount is one of my favorite songs. And man, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave. I'm prone to waver in my faith. But see, here's what God the Father sees. He sees a heart that has been captivated by Jesus. He sees in Naomi's place in this season, the father sees the son, Jesus Christ, 
who came, and even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the world was weighing on his shoulders, never once wavered in his faith. Jesus never took his eyes off the Father, and he was living as our substitute, so that when he went and died the death that he did for our sin in our place and raised back to the Father, the Father now looks at us as someone whose faith is never wavering, ironclad, never disbelieving, not for one second. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And I pray this morning that if you're here and maybe you think you have responded to that good news, Christ's life in your place, Christ's death in your place, he's done all the heavy lifting and we simply say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We trust and obey him. We do the next thing. If you've not done that, please, please come and speak to me. I do not want Substance Church Worcester to ever gloss over the invitation part of the gospel. We want you to respond. There is a place in the kingdom for you. Come in faith. And for those of you who are like Naomi, it's, it's okay. Jesus' faith is strong enough for us all in our place. And so let's minister together uh, to one another as we, as we go later on and feast, but we're gonna, we're gonna pray now and, and sing. God, thank you for the examples of faith we see in Ruth and Boaz and the example of faith we see in Naomi. It probably took her every last drop of energy to travel back to Bethlehem as kind of the next step of her, of her faith. But I thank you for the truth of 2 Timothy 2.13, that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful to your people. That is such good news for me in the midst of a, of a week where I've struggled at times to even believe. I thank you, God, for your grace. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it on that courts above. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.